embodied in the story found in the Last Supper that we just read is the answer to this question, what God really cares about, what his heart is. But before we look at the story, let me first share another story that spanned three generations that truly shows the heart of God. Now, the story I'm going to share with you actually began at a time when I didn't exist yet. My parents hadn't even met yet. I didn't know Jessie. Her parents hadn't even met yet. We weren't married. We didn't have children. I wasn't even called to the ministry. I'm looking back three generations of something that God did quite miraculously. It all began on August 1st, 1993. Now, that's 25 years ago. I was only 42 years old at that time. A fairly young man. But... It was just an ordinary day. It was actually Communion Sunday, just like today, Communion Sunday. But that morning I had decided that instead of having the service communion in the morning, I would move it to the evening service where we'd have our communion and our healing service for the congregation. And I would continue to do my series that I was preaching on the book of Acts. And that particular day I was preaching on Acts chapter 5. Um, better obey God rather than man was the theme of my message. And I was doing the series on Acts, which is the founding of the church. And actually, if you study the book of Acts, it was simply preaching about the death and the resurrection of Christ because that was the foundation of the church. And I was doing this series back in 1993. That particular morning, when I got up to preach, I noticed we had a visitor sitting in the back row that I was not familiar with. Now, it's interesting, Eric, I'm sure you do the same thing. You can stand up here on a Sunday and look across the congregation and you know who is visiting. That's just something that pastors know. And that particular Sunday, I remember there was a a woman sitting in the back row by herself who had never seen before. I did my message that morning and we had an altar call and a number of people came forward and this woman who was visiting also left the back row and came all the way to the front and and kneeled at the altar. I directed Jesse to go and pray with her as I went and prayed with others that had come to the altar that particular morning. And as I finished up those that I was working with, Jesse motioned me to come over to her and to really ask for some assistance with this particular visitor. And she introduced her to me. Her name was Bonnie. And she said, Bonnie came to the altar to pray for her brother who was in the hospital dying at that very moment. She had come from Ohio to Anderson and the hospital was just a few miles away and she had chosen to come to our church that particular Sunday. Why she chose that church, I really don't know. But she chose to come to our church. And she came to the altar and um, She prayed with my wife, and my wife actually said um, she wanted us to pray for her brother, and my wife said, no, um, my husband will go visit him. And uh, so right after the service, I said, I'd be more than happy, Bonnie, to go visit your brother. And she said, well, he might be unconscious. You might not be able to even talk to him. Then the last thing she said to me, and by the way, he hates ministers. (laughs) And by the way, in those days... You used to wear a suit and a tie. It usually was a dark suit. That was like our priestly garment. 
as a minister. Of course, that's all changed today. I remember when I'd go fill pulpits and, and speak at churches, I'd actually sometimes ask the pastor, now what's the dress code there? Do I have to have a suit with me or a sports coat? Or can I be casual? Because you never knew. I didn't want to offend anybody when I'd go speak someplace. So Bonnie told me about her, her brother and uh, that he was dying, and she was concerned about his eternal destiny, and he might not be conscious. So I drove up to the hospital. I went to the room, and he was awake when I got there. He wasn't unconscious. And it was interesting. As soon as I walked in the room, I could see... Have you ever noticed how people sometimes their facial expressions will tell you what they're thinking? I could see he immediately had disdain for me because he assumed I was a minister <laughs> just because I was there. I told him that Bonnie had been at the church and she had asked me to come up and visit him and we began to have a conversation. And one of the things I try to do in my conversations is try to find a point of contact with somebody. And I discovered that he actually had grown up and, and was born in Pittsburgh and that he had moved to Anderson, Indiana for a job. And I said, oh, that's interesting. My wife was born in Pennsylvania. And, and actually, her grandfather was a minister in Pittsburgh. He was a minister at the Great Allegheny Center there back many, many years ago. And as we were talking, there was an elephant in the room. And of course, the elephant in the room was that he didn't like ministers and he really didn't want to talk to me. And I immediately addressed that. I said, your sister told me that you don't like ministers. I guess that's being pretty blunt. Um, and I just simply asked the question, why? And he paused, and he didn't say anything. And then finally he said, well, there was one minister I deeply respected and loved. And I said, oh, really? I said, what was his name? I said, his name, he told me, was Tracy Miller. And I stood there for a moment, and I looked at him, and I said, that's my wife's grandfather. And I said, by marriage, his grandson now stands in your presence. And God has sent him here to talk to you about your eternal destiny. When I told him who I was, he had tears in his eyes. Suddenly, that face that was hard softened. I began to share with him. I said, do you have assurance that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Because he was on his deathbed. And he said, no. I shared the gospel with him, that Jesus came and died and was buried and resurrected. And, and he died on the cross for your sins. And he wants to give you the gift of eternal life. And Ron bowed his head and received Christ as his Savior. He died three days later, and I did his funeral on August 6th. And what's interesting about this story is it covered three generations. You know, Eric just talked about what the three priorities of Eagle are. One of them is the next generation. Well, we're talking about the next, next generation. That's how God works. Unbelievable that God moved all the circumstances over all those years, three generations, to bring about the story of Christ to one individual so that they could be saved. 
I read an article recently that even today, 82,000 people will receive Christ in the world today. There are multiple stories taking place of people coming to Christ right now around the world. And that's why we're committed as a church to missions and discipleship. But what is the story? This is a story in my life, one instance. But what is the story embedded in the Last Supper that really reveals the heart of God? And I want to look at five storylines. The messenger, the night, the bread, the prayer, and the cup. Originally, I had seven, but my wife said that'd be too long. <laughs> it was funny when I was pastoring, and she would sit in the front row like this all the time. <laughs> I'd say, <laughs> I'd sort of look away. <laughs> but let's look at the story of, that's embedded in the Lord's Supper. The first part of it is the messenger. It's interesting, in verse 23, it's very simple, for I receive from the Lord. The word there, I, actually refers to the Apostle Paul. And what's interesting is the message that we have here about the Lord's Supper is something that he received from Christ himself. He didn't go to Jerusalem or to the apostles or to other men. Actually, in Galatians, it says, he was taught by the Lord and given revelation by the Lord of the truths. In Galatians chapter 1, we know in 2 Corinthians 12 that whether he was in the body or out of the body, he was taken up to heaven and he was taught by Christ. So when we look at the Lord's Supper here, we, we know we have the, the versions in the Gospels, but the Apostle Paul was not there that night. So Jesus actually came and, and taught Paul about what was important. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, first importance, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So here we see the messenger is Paul himself, and, and he was taught by the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, when, I, when I think about this, I, I read this, and I said, for I received from the Lord. And over in 1 Corinthians, it says, I received. He received these things from Christ. The things that are of first importance. And many times I think to myself, oh, how I would like to sit down and talk to Jesus face to face. What a glorious thing that would be. Yes, we can talk to Jesus in our prayer light, you know, when we pray. And in our quiet time. But Paul actually got to see him face to face. And talk to him. Whether he was in the body or out, but he was, he was taught by Christ himself. And he, he really was telling us what, of, what is of really importance. And this morning, as we, as we partake of the bread and the cup, this is something that Jesus taught Paul about because it was very significant. May I just say the disciples on that night when, and we're going to talk about the night when, when Jesus was betrayed, they were still celebrating the old covenant not the new covenant. And Jesus came and taught Paul about the new covenant, what was really important. And he laid down the, the pattern for the church that we still follow to this day. So first we have the messenger, and that messenger, of course, was Paul himself who was with Christ. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Then secondly, we see in the storyline, 
the night, verse 23. For I received the Lord right I pass unto you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. Now that was no ordinary night. Now Paul wasn't there. I believe Paul might have been in Jerusalem, though. He might have been in Jerusalem at that time because the Jewish people were gathered to celebrate the Passover. But that was no ordinary night. It was the night of the Passover meal. It's the night that had been celebrated for 1,500 years. Every year. We find the, the pattern laid down in Exodus 12 and Numbers 9. It was when they were in the wilderness, they were actually instructed how they were to celebrate the Passover supper. And on this particular night, when Paul says, I received the Lord right to pass unto you, the night he was betrayed, it is estimated by Josephus, Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, that there were at least 2.7 million Jews in Jerusalem that night. You know, we often look at the Lord's Supper and we see the 12 and Jesus and they're celebrating, but that was going on in thousands of places across the city. It was no ordinary night. And yet Jesus was beginning to make the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Even today on the 14th day of the first month, which is Nisan, the Jewish, in the Jewish calendar, Jewish people still celebrate the Passover supper. What's interesting on this night, something else was taking place. On the 10th day of the first month, in the Jewish calendar, all the people were to choose a lamb that was to be sacrificed for the Passover. And what's interesting is they would select a lamb and it would take four days to examine that lamb to make sure it was without blemish. And what's interesting is that day when they selected the lamb four days before the Passover would have been the exact day that Jesus came into Jerusalem triumphantly presenting himself as the Lamb of God. And for the next four days he would be examined. And it's interesting, on the night he was betrayed, he was also examined by whom? The Sanhedrin, by Pilate. And Pilate actually said, he is an innocent man, and I wash my hands of this whole thing. You see, Jesus, it was, he was identified as a lamb of God without blemish, without sin. He was a true lamb of God. And that took place on that night. It was no ordinary night. And when we come to the table and we take the bread and the cup, it's no ordinary meal because it's a reminder of, of all that Christ has gone through. And we should see it as something very sacred. But then the third storyline we see in this story embedded in the Last Supper is the bread. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I pass unto you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread. And then he said, this is my body which is for you. Literally broken for you. Back in Hebrews chapter 10 we're given the prophecy from the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 40, where Jesus literally, body, it says, body, you have, you have prepared a body for me to do your will. So when Jesus was saying he took the bread and this is my body, he was literally fulfilling 
the prophecy we find in Psalms and we see in Hebrews chapter 10 that he had literally been given a body to fulfill the will of God. Remember, Jesus is eternal. He lived in heaven before he became a baby. And it was through the virgin birth and through Bethlehem and the whole story of Christmas that we see that Jesus left glory and was given a body. A body that would eventually be broken for us. What a beautiful picture. He was given a body, prepared for him to do the will of God. But also, it says, his body was broken for us. In Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it talks about the fact that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was, he, he was uh, by his stripes were healed, and he bore our sicknesses and burdens, uh, uh, our sicknesses in his body. And one of the things I see when I look at the bread, I realize that God has made provisions for the needs of his people, his physical needs of his people. God has created us with a body, soul, and a spirit. And many times when we deal with the Lord's Supper, we, most people just deal with the spiritual aspect of it, that, that we're saved. But the Bible also indicates that he bore all of our sicknesses and diseases upon his body. And one of the provisions he's made for his children is for healing. We forget that. I remember one of the dear ladies in the church, we would, we would have healing services at every communion service. And, and over the years, I've seen multitudes healed. The Lord's healed me a number of times. My son had a broken ankle, and the Lord healed that. It's amazing. Went to the doctor, and the doctor said, it's not broken anymore. I can remember one time in one service, a dear lady came to me. I, can, I was there the day she died. She was 98. But as I pastored, there wasn't a healing service. If she had a cold or there was some physical need she had, she came and was anointed. Because she believed in the provision that Christ in his body made provision for his children, not only spiritually, but for the body, physically, for the soul, emotionally. And one time she said to me, Pastor, why don't people come to be anointed by the elders? Why do we see so few healings today? She says, when I grew up, people were healed all the time. Now, this church was an Alliance church, and I celebrated its 100th anniversary, so it goes way back. It was the second oldest church in, in Indiana. And I said, well, one of the reasons is faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, and it's no longer taught. We have to believe it. We have to be taught the word of God. In James 5, it says, if any is sick among you, let him call the elders. And this morning, one of the things we will do as a part of this service, when, when, we, when we go to partake of the bread and the cup, if you have a physical need, you can come and kneel down here. And I know Pastor Eric and some of the elders will be here to anoint you, to trust you for your physical need. Tell them what it is. When people would come, I would pray specifically for the need that they had. So we see the body of Christ that was prepared for him to do the will of the Father that has made provisions for us as his children. The fourth thing we see here is his prayer in verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. You know, we're thankful for the sacrifice that Christ has made. And there's one thing I've learned is I never take any meal for granted. I truly thank the Lord for Every meal, I never take food for granted. I never take anything for granted. 
But I think the prayer here of Jesus when he gave thanks goes much deeper. A few hours later, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and dropping sweats of blood because of the agony that he is in. And he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he prays, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. You know, as a Christian, we love to thank the Lord for the good things. Do you ever thank Him for the difficulties? It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You realize that when Jesus was giving thanks for the bread and the cup, representing his broken body, he was thanking God for the fact that he was going to go to the cross. I I want you to think about that. Give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, When I pastored New York, I know, Eric, my time's almost up here. I got started late. (laughs) When I pastored New York, a dear saint by the name of Ruth had to go to the hospital, and she said to me, I don't want to go to the hospital. Why is this happening to me? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Well, she was in the hospital. Now, if you're in New York, um, now we have a lot of private rooms here in Indiana. You know, they build these nice, big, brand new hospitals, and everybody gets a private room. Well, when I pastored in New York, you either had two to four people in your room. You know, they were like wards sometimes. Now, I'm sure they've changed today, but I'm talking back a number of years ago. So I went to see Ruth, and um, by the way, I, I thank the Lord for Eric. He's got a true shepherd's heart. He shares stories of being there for people who are sick and people who are dying, and he's a true shepherd. I thank the Lord for that. I know that's true of the others on the staff as well. So I went to see Ruth, and she did have a roommate who was unconscious, and maybe the Lord does this with me a lot, unconscious people. She, he was, she was unconscious. And I went to see Ruth to pray with her and encourage her that she was in the hospital and she didn't know why she was there. And as I was standing there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Spirit does speak to us, by the way, as we walk with him. And he said, I want you to talk to her roommate about her salvation. Now, I'm talking to Ruth, and I'm not talking out loud, by the way. I have conversations with God this way. And I said, but Lord, she's unconscious. She's sleeping. I can't talk to her unless you wake her up. And as soon as I said that, she woke up. (laughs) I said, okay, Lord, I'll go talk to her. I went over and began to talk to this lady, and I asked her if she had assurance. I was pretty blunt. I've, I've shared with a lot of people about Christ over the years. I said, do you know Christ as your Savior, and when you die, will you have assurance you're going to go to heaven? She said, no. I said, would you like to know Jesus as your Savior? Would you like to have assurance that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? She said, yes. I shared the gospel with her again. She prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. Ruth came back to the church after she left the hospital. She said, Pastor, after you left, she went back and became unconscious and never woke up again. She said, but I thank the Lord that he allowed me to go to the hospital. 
so that I could be a part of her salvation. The prayer, Jesus said he gave thanks and and what he was really giving thanks for is that he would fulfill God's will for his life for the body that he had been given. That's true for all of us. We have to learn to be thankful in all circumstances. Not just the good times, but the difficulties. The longer you get to know me, i got lots of stories about that. The difficulties that God brings us through to help us to grow and mature in Him. Well, the final and the fifth, and I'll go over this quickly, is the cup. Verse 25, in the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant, my blood, do this in remembrance, drink it and do it in remembrance of me. Now this represented the new covenant, the night when the old passed to the new. And I won't go into a lot of depth here so we can move on in the service, but through the blood of Christ we have the forgiveness of sins, it says in Matthew. In Ephesians 1, 6, we've been redeemed through his blood. In 1 Peter, it talks about the purchase price of our salvation is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us in the scripture that we have access to the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, why could I have that conversation with God when I was standing in that room? Because we have access to the throne. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He moves in us. It also tells us in Hebrews that our conscience has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you have a conscience that isn't cleansed, let the blood of Jesus cleanse it. He frees us from our sins, it says in Revelations 1.5. And actually, I think one of the passages we we need to study is Revelations 12.11, where it says, we overcome Satan, how? By the word of our testimony, but by the blood of the Lamb. We need to understand the the, the importance of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the cup that we take. Now what's interesting is what this story really does, this story embodies the heart and what God really cares about, the Lord's Supper. And what he really cares about is a story of God's love and redemptive plan, his plan of salvation. You know, when we partake of the bread and the cup, it's really God's plan through the age. What's interesting, it says here, for in verse 26, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. I want you to know, verse 26 is a consolidation of the entire scripture. Uh, We could spend hours on verse 26 this morning. It says here that when we partake of the bread and the cup, we show forth the Lord's death, the first importance Jesus died, he was buried and rose again. But what's interesting in Revelation, it says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That covers all the Old Testament. Then you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, which you'll read that last part of the chapter. It talks about, come Lord Jesus, from the beginning to the end, this verse covers everything, and so does the communion service. total picture of God's plan for the ages, to proclaim his death until he comes. That's the purpose. That's the mission of eagle. That's the mission of each and every one of us. It's of first importance. It's the heart of the gospel. In Luke 19, when Jesus was with Zacchaeus, um, they wanted to know why he was with sinners, and he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. 
That's what the communion table's all about. For God so loved the world, you know, you go to sporting events, you see John 3.16 and, and people smirk, but that's the heart of God. That's the story within the Lord's Supper. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should pay, not perish but have eternal life. Uh, that, that individual that knew my wife's grandfather, the woman in Oswego and, and many others who have come to know Christ and perhaps some that you have seen come to Christ. So this morning we're going to come to the Lord's table. Now this table is open to all believers. You do not have to be a member of Eagle Alliance Church to partake in the bread and the cup, but you need to be a member of the body of Christ. You need to know Jesus as your personal Savior. It's a time for reflection and, and searching of our hearts. And when we take the bread and when you go over and break that bread off, I want you to think about it. If you have physical need today and that bread is broken off, think the body of Christ isn't broken for you and come and kneel. Maybe you have a prayer need or a physical need and you can come and there'll be a pastor or an elder to hear pray with you and anoint you. You can do that right when we're doing the service or you can do it after the service. But when you dip the bread into the blood, the cup, the blood is the purchase price of your salvation. And before you, sometimes I notice we gather in groups, sometimes we're by ourselves. And, but before you take that bread, I want you to thank him for the sacrifice he made. I believe that's important. But I also want you to think about somebody you know who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And I want you to, before you take that bread, say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And I want you to bring salvation to so-and-so. The Bible says no man can come unto the Father unless they are drawn. And one of the responsibilities we have as Christians is to pray for the lost so they'll come to Jesus. I used to say, tell people, I used to tell my elders this, five minutes of prayer for somebody would do more good than an hour of counseling them. Because I believe God answers prayer. When you take that bread today and and, and you eat it. You think about somebody that you know who needs to be saved. It might be a family member. It might be a neighbor. It might be a friend. Just begin to pray that God will open their hearts because the, the, the heart has to be prepared. And you don't know who God's going to bring into their life to lead them, but you'll be laying the seed. We can fill this place with people who, know Jesus, who need to know Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what the story of the Lord's Supper is all about. It's God's love and His redemptive plan. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take time to be still and, and go and partake of the bread and the cup. Again, if you have a physical need, a prayer need, come and kneel at the altar, and some will be here to pray with you. Then at the end of the service, even after we're done, if you still have a need, you come. The Lord is the one that healeth thee, it says in the Scripture. He still provides. But how do I know that? I was supposed to have died when I was 48 years old. I'm still here. I read that beautiful blog about Carl, how God's healed him. And I talked to him last week and I said, thank the Lord for writing that little blog. It was wonderful. How God has healed you and taken care of you. God wants to take care of his children. That's what the church and the body of Christ is all about. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that your son made 
on the cross. And through his broken body and through his shed blood, you've made provisions totally for our body, soul, and spirit, both now and forevermore. And Lord, we just pray now that as the worship team comes and as we worship you, that we'll worship you reverently and appropriately as we break the bread and dip in the blood and participate in a remembrance of the sacrifice you made. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So when you feel free, just feel free to move over to